Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. opportunity to be here with you. you you have an extraordinary couple that pastor this church along with a team of extraordinary people that pastor this church it's a blessing to have good people who love you who care for you not trying to be celebrity preachers I, the the thing that has always impressed me about you and your lovely bride and your family is you love everybody you love everybody everybody I thank you for that. We honor you today. You can be seated. Thank you so much for coming out today, especially if you are a guest. You owe it to yourself to come back and hear one of the greatest communicators that you will ever hear, Pastor Rex Johnson. He's funny. He's in-depth. He can take a thought that I would have to study for years on and, and just accidentally preach it better than most people that I know. And, uh, and so I, I encourage you to come back. Today, I'm excited. We just came off of a women's retreat at which me and the cook were the only men there. And we, we, we had a great time. He was cooking and I was cooking up the word. And we had, we had a blast with the ladies. We had fun. We had a good time. And today, I believe that God is going to anoint. And we're going to have a great time. I'm going to jump right in. Because I'm excited about what I'm going to bring to you today. I'm fired up about it. This is my heartbeat, my passion. The Lord began to speak this to me about a week ago. And so I want to talk to you today on this topic, the destination of your destiny. The destination of your destiny. Now, they almost sound like the same words, like what's the difference between a destination and a destiny? You kind of finally reach both of them. But God is absolutely in control of your destiny. He has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29 11, most of us can quote it, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And you can't say this one without preaching it. There are plans for good and not for disaster. Come on, somebody. To give you a future and a hope. God is in control of your destiny. But he put you in control of your destination. And if you're not careful, you can take a pit stop, you can have a layover, you can take a detour, you can kind of go and live over here a little while while your destiny all the while is out here. And until you get your destination lined up with the destiny that God has for you, you can end up going way out here and wondering, why am I not happy? Why have I not found what I wanted to find? Why am I not doing what I wanted to do? It's easy to get distracted. It is. I, uh, my wife drives, and she'll be here at second service, she drives a Cadillac Escalade, and it is a beautiful vehicle, but I drive, I drive a brown 2002 Buick Regal LS. I don't even know why you're laughing right now, I don't know, because that is a hot car. I got cool points driving, actually, most people that drive that vehicle are north of 80 years old, and, and then there's me. People wave all the time at other people. Ah, that's Pastor. No, that's not. That's an, uh, that's an elderly man. Um, and so every now and then my car has issues, but I can tell you this. It's paid for. I don't have to make a payment on it. It was a gift. Somebody gave it to me. 
Somebody say, thank you. It was a good gift. I said, thank you, Jesus. But every now and then my car has issues. And a couple of weeks ago we were driving home from the church that I pastor on Saturday night. And I had my two daughters in the back. And my wife had stayed home that night with the baby. And, and I, my older daughters had one in the front and my, uh, my middle daughter in the, in the back. They're 11 and 12. And my car started running hot. Which is a little frustrating because there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And it started running hot. So I said, girls, the car's running hot. Dad's going to have to turn off the air conditioner. I'm going to have to turn on the heater to pull some of the heat off of the engine. Some of y'all didn't know that. You never know what you're going to learn at church. If your car's running hot, turn the heater on, pull the heat off. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good already. <laughs> it's car talk Sunday morning. And so we're driving along. I called my wife and I said, hey, listen, I don't want to alarm you, but the car's running a little hot. And uh, she said, why don't you call somebody? Let's call somebody. I was like, I mean, come on. Call somebody. I, I wear boots and jeans. I got this, okay? I got my cowboy up, handle up on this business right here. We're going to be good. And my daughters, when they heard that the car was running hot, my oldest daughter, she says, Dad, are we going to be okay? And my youngest daughter's like, oh, God, help us not to blow up. Oh, God, she was praying. I said, no, we're not going to be okay. Anything to make you pray. This car's in there. Keep praying. She gave her heart to Christ right there. It was great. We baptized her at the gas station. (laughs) That's not true. So we pulled over and I put some coolant in the reservoir and prayed over the car right now in the name of Jesus and the authority of the Holy Ghost. I command you to cool down. We got back in and the Lord did not answer that prayer. It kept running hot. And finally the car, <laughs> finally the car is turning off, okay? It's just, it's just like, I'm done, you know? And so we're coasting and I, my daughters are like, Dad, are we okay? And I'm, I'm saying yes, but on the inside I'm saying right now in the name of Jesus, I need a gas station to arise out of nowhere in the desertous land that I am in right now, Lord, right now. And a gas station comes up, and I pulled over. And it's not the kind of gas station that you would want to stop in. Um, it's kind of a scary gas station. Like the people that work there are scared. They, they work behind bulletproof glass, and there's a little robot arm that reaches out. May I help you? You know, takes your card. And, and I was praying, God, right now I need some of those thug angels, God. You know, some of those ones who used to be crips but covered by the blood. God, that's what I need, God, right now. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> When I called my wife and I said, baby, I said, we're, we're broke down. We're at the gas station. And she said, I told you that you should have called somebody and now you have my babies. Now, now they're your babies. Okay, now. When they're in trouble, they, you better go get your kids. But now they're your kids. Okay. My babies, you've got them in a danger zone. And I don't know how she did this, but, I, you know, women are spectacular, Pastor. They're, they're amazing. And she was able to, on the phone with me, she was able to text and telegram and call and email all kind of people. And while I'm on the phone with her, like four or five people from our church show up. Anzio shows up. Lois shows up. Bethany shows up. Stacy comes driving up. Bruce Willis comes out of a helicopter. Oprah pulls up. I mean... We, we could have started another campus right there, 429 Chevron. I mean, it would have been right there. And I was going, oh, I, you know, I had this, I had this. And, and finally, one of the guys that was with me said, Pastor, you didn't have this. And some of us relate to that. Because in our lives, we think, I got this. No, but you don't understand. I got this. No, I can handle it. I know things are heating up, but, I, but I'm okay. You know, I know you're praying for me, but I'm doing okay. Listen, just a clue. If your pastor ever says, I've been praying for you, and you say, oh, I'm fine, that's a great excuse that we know right then you're not fine. We need to pray more for you. Sometimes we have to admit, you know what? My destination has gotten a little skewed. I thought I could handle this, but I can't. I've got to get back 
to saying, God, you are in control of my destiny. And I want to line up with where you are calling me and I want to do what you have called me to do. The essence, one more monitor, j if you don't mind. The essence of our Christian walk is realizing I can't do this on my own. I need God's help. Today, for the next few minutes, we're going to look at a man who understood this concept. In fact, he constantly sacrificed his life and his wants and his needs and his own desires to follow after the heart of God. In fact, you can see very clearly when he gets out of line because things go immediately wrong and he begins to line up again. It's why he's referred to in the scriptures as a man after God's heart. David is an iconic figure in history of weakness and strength and devotion to God. Everybody knows who David is. You don't even have to be a believer to know who David is. It's why more than two million people flocked to the city of Florence, Italy every year to look at the statue of a naked man. That's right there. Now I had to clean him up. I had to put some drawers on him because you can't come up in here like that. And I gave, him a little, I gave him a little Christian Life Church tattoo up there because it's Austin and we're just keeping it weird. That's how we, that's how we roll. take it away we won't even be able to pay attention the rest of the service (laughs) why does a work of art created a half a millennium ago possess such a timeless and universal appeal it's because people want to know more about a man who was one of the greatest kings of all time the life of David was a study in submission to God he had a constant heart for God you don't even have to be a believer to know Psalms chapter 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now you might have to be a believer to know Psalms 27 because I quote it whenever I'm in a tough spot. I say the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And I'll preach to myself by myself knowing that God is going to be with me. It was David who said, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Not only one of the greatest kings of all time, but also one of the greatest psalmists and songwriters of all time. But the story of David does not begin that way. The story of David begins as a forgotten shepherd boy on the backside of a field watching sheep while everybody else got to do the fun stuff. And he's not just forgotten by any old body, he's forgotten by his own father. Now, I don't know if you've ever been forgotten or not, but it's not fun to be forgotten. It's not, it's not a blast to be forgotten. I remember, I remember distinctly being seven years old and being forgotten by my parents. Because I was raised in church. Actually, I, I was raised under a church pew whenever I was a kid. You can sleep on a pew or you can sleep under a pew. Sleeping under a pew sometimes is a little more safe because you can kind of hide, especially in the kind of church that I went to where you did, did that and you had to dodge folks and stuff. And I remember sleeping under a pew one time and I woke up and rolled out from under that pew and the lights were off and the church was dark and everybody was gone. I don't know what I had done to make my parents leave me at church. I was seven. I got scared to death. I thought the rapture had taken place. It's like, take me, please. As I got older, I realized that if the Lord had really come, there'd be a whole lot more people still sitting there in the pew with me. But (laughs) my parents had forgotten. It's not fun to be forgotten. And in the story of David, God is tired of Saul, the first king of Israel who was chosen by the people. So God tells Samuel, go to Jesse's house. And from his family, I'm going to choose the next king. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse parades out seven of his eight sons. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the tough, strong, oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And we're going to extract our very first point from verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Don't judge by his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you want to make the destiny of God your destination, then the first thing that you have to do is let God define you and stop being who everybody else says you ought to be. Let God define you. Because when you allow other people to define you, you have to live in whatever box that they put you in. You cannot judge what God has called you to based on what somebody else called you. I've met people before who allowed a high school bully to define the destiny of their life. And they were told they were a loser coming up. Maybe it was your own earthly father. You ought to, you ought to listen to what your heavenly father is calling you today. Because he calls you righteous and he calls you just. You can do it. You can make it. Some of us have allowed others to call us something for so long that we've assumed an identity that we were never supposed to have. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? (laughs) Well, they're still the youngest, dad replies, but he's out in the field watching sheep and goats. Samuel says, send for him at once. We will not sit down until he arrives. Actually, he's not forgotten, pastor. He's not thought thought enough of to invite in. He's not forgotten. He's just written off. And some of us feel that way. We feel written off, not just forgotten. People knew we were there, and they chose to ignore us. You can let that bother you if you want to, but we find no record of this bothering David. (laughs) Some of us are so upset about not being where we think we ought to be that we're doing absolutely nothing where we are. You know, God is preparing you here for where you're headed. David's in a field learning how to be a shepherd. All of his brothers are with the prophet, which in those days, it was a big deal if the prophet came to your house. And, and David is, is set out, I, listen, somebody's got to take care of the sheep. You're the one who's going to do it. We're going to party with the prophet. You go take care of the sheep. And David embraces his surroundings. So the second thing that we can extract from this story is simply this. Bloom where you're planted. What we're not told in this situation is while David is blooming where he's planted, he's learning how to play a guitar. And he's learning how to write songs. And he's learning how to sing songs to a holy God that will forever be an imprint upon the souls of mankind, these songs that this shepherd boy is writing. Oh, and by the way, he's also honing his skills with a slingshot that are going to catapult him into the kinghood, kingship that God has called him to. Here's what I want to tell you. What you do with where you are will always determine where you go next. Your future is not decided by what you do tomorrow. Your future is decided today, right now. And some people fail to recognize their own surroundings and where they are and where God has placed them, and they always want to be somewhere different, that they never go all in where they are. And so they never become what they could be because they won't be anything where they are right now. I would encourage you today to serve like crazy in your church. Serve like crazy in your community. Your marriage may not be perfect. Go all in on the marriage you have now. And if you'll give 100% to this thing, I promise you God will blow your... I'm preaching right now. Get Get my handkerchief out. I might need a little little bit of that water, Brother Mitch. Y'all give Mitchell a good hand. He's a great friend of mine. Three years, man. I remember 
when I was a youth pastor, I had a guy come to me. He was one of those guys who was either, he took that scripture a little, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm or I'll spew you out of my mouth. So he was either going all crazy for Jesus or he was smoking crack. I mean, there was no in between with this guy. He came to me one of those on fire moments. He was on fire. He said, he said, I believe that I am called to go overseas and reach people in the farthest regions of the world. And I said, I just said, I have a question for you. How do you expect to reach people who don't speak your language when you won't even reach the people who do? He got real mad at me and didn't ask me for any more advice after that, but. You can't wait on perfect circumstances to become what God has called you to be. You ever met those people who think they're going to win the spiritual lottery one day? One of these days. I'm going to be anointed. When? Well, one of these days. When it just happens. Can I just break something down to the body of Christ? Sometimes we believe that God has this really big special promise for us. That one of these days he's just going to, boom, there you go. Perfect life. Love you, son. Doesn't work that way. God has a destiny, but sometimes you have to fight and you have to work and you have to elbow. You have to kick. You have to work your way into what God has called you to do, and you have to bloom where you're planted to do it. Start where you are now. Colossians three twenty three is one of my favorite scriptures. It says this: Work willingly at whatever you do. Everybody say whatever. Well, this would sure mess up your idea of kind of sloughing off your job right now because it's not where you really wanted to be, huh? Because the Bible says, work it willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Can you imagine if you worked where you are on your job, in your career, in your community as if God was your boss and, you're, and not that moron who is your boss? You, work, you started working for God? Now listen, even if you're not a believer, if you'll start going crazy and working as if you were working for God, it'll advance you in, in the career that you're in right now. That's just good preaching. Your actions on this level qualify you for the next level. Now, I have a lot of teachers in our church, and we've got some principals and vice principals, and I've talked to them, and, and we, we all agree, and most of the teachers in this room, people in the educational system, would agree with me that one of the, one of the major problems with the educational system is, is nationwide, oftentimes we pass kids to the next level who are not prepared to be on the next level, therefore causing problems for the kids who are on the level they're supposed to be at, because now teachers have to spend time teaching a kid on this level something that he should have gotten on this level. God won't do that. He won't graduate you to a level that will destroy you. He'll leave you sitting in the third grade desk, you know, the one that's connected to the chair, and you're too big to fit in, and God will say, listen, when you graduate out of that one, I'll put you on another level. Some of us get so frustrated on the level that we're at, but we haven't bloomed where we're planted, so we can't go to where God has called us to go. Bloom where you're planted. David's preparation primed him for his purpose. In one chapter later, in chapter 17, this fires me up. This whole story fires me up. Israel's at war with the Philistines, and the Philistines occupy one hill, and the children of Israel occupy another hill, and they have a problem. There's a 40-day stalemate because for 40 days, from the Philistine side comes a giant over nine feet tall. Many theologians believe his spear weighed about 65 pounds. He comes striding out there, and he looks at the children of Israel, and he says, send me a man. I don't know if he talked like that, but it's fun. Send me, a man. send me a man to fight. And if he destroys me, we will serve thee. That rhymed, I like it. 
But if I destroy him, you will serve us for the rest of your lives. <laughs> I don't know if he sounded like that, but it sure makes it fun, huh? He's been doing this for 40 days, and David goes to bring food to his brothers. And I love David because his response is different than everybody else's. Everybody else is scared to death when the giant comes out, but David gets ticked. David gets mad. He gets fired up. Everyone else runs scared. Oh, there's the giant. And David goes, who is that punk? That's what it says, King James Version, punk. No, it doesn't say that. Actually, 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, actually a little worse. David asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Them's fighting words. What he's saying is, who is this man who is not in covenant with a holy God? He has no authority on this battlefield. You know, the thing we can extract from what David does right here is you got to choose what offends you. He could have been offended back when he was left out. When everybody else got to go see the prophet and he had to keep the sheep, but he chose, I'm not going to be offended by that. I'm going to bloom where I planted. And when he walked out onto the battle lines and there's a giant screaming at the people of God, he gets offended by the right thing. And it offended him toward his destiny. When you're offended in the church, some of us are actually being offended away from what God has called us to. Believers, we shouldn't be offended at one another. Don't look for someone well, you don't understand. I've been hurt in church. Everybody's been hurt before. Here, the first book of Jeremy says, get over it. <laughs> Choose what offends you. Be offended by poverty. Be offended by sin in our society. Be offended by how they're labeling the church. Be offended that people say we can't reach this generation. Be offended by the right things. And as soon as he talks to his brothers... Man, their response is hilarious. They start ripping on him. Eliab says, hey, who's watching the sheep? I hear them calling. David, come back. They're calling you right now. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. It was dumb. What's amazing is it, this, this response from his brothers, isn't it funny how sometimes our, our own brothers are the ones who tear us down whenever we feel like we're called to a destiny to do something that God has called us to do? We shouldn't gossip about one another. Church should be the most encouraging place that you can go. So it doesn't stop David. Here's what he does. And this is what you and I have to do. Stop worrying so much about what everybody else thinks. Get a few good godly advisors who will speak into your life and let everything else go in one ear and out the other. You know, there are always people who are going to rip on what you're doing. Constantly. I read a story, and it was great, about Christopher Columbus. It was after he had discovered America and he was sitting in a pub, and there were some contemporaries of his sitting around. They were talking to him, and they were, they were basically just kind of just ripping on him, saying, really, I mean, you know, what's so special about you? And he called to the kitchen. He said, bring me an egg. Does anybody have an egg? Anybody have an egg? Yeah, oh, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> appreciate that. I just bring an egg to church with you. Um, that was a setup. He liked it, though, didn't you? I'm like, my God, who's going to have an egg? Oh, Brad has an egg. Thank you, Pastor Brad. He called for an egg. He took the egg on the table and he said, here, stand this egg on end. And so they tried to stand the egg on end and they could not. And so they gave the egg back to Christopher Columbus. And they said, I suppose you can stand the egg on end. He said, sure. <laughs> and one of the guys looked at him and said, well, anybody could have done that. Columbus said, yeah, but you didn't. 
You will always have people who are telling you what you can't do. Just drive right on past them into what God has called you to do. Don't listen to the naysayers. They're always going to be around. The Bible says the haters ye have with ye always. It's in there. Hug a hater and let your hater be your elevator and just go on up to the next level to where God is calling you to go on the backs of the people who are saying you can't get there. You can't do that. Last time I checked, we served the God of the impossible. So if somebody says that's impossible, whoo, that means Jesus is there because that's where he lives. Sometimes God will use your adversity to advance you. Saul allows David to fight and tells him, here, wear my armor, and David won't wear the armor because it's not armor that he has proven. doesn't mean it doesn't fit because we find at this exact time David was also an armor bearer. So he, 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 he knew how to use it. He just wasn't used to it. Tells me this, use what you have where you are. Use what God has already given you. Don't try to do it like everybody else. You may not look like everybody else and act like everybody else and can sing like everybody. God knows we all can't sing like everybody else. We all can't be Cass and Caitlin and all them that can just be blessed with beautiful voices. <laughs> Some of y'all need to know this right now. You can't sing. <laughs> just can't. You're the ones who make a joyful, loud noise. That's, that's you. But that doesn't mean you can't do something for Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't bloom where you are and use what you have. And I love how confident David is in his God. He talks smack. You ever known somebody talk smack? Most of you talk, talk trash. Most of you learned it from your mama. I learned it from my mama. I'm going to knock you in the next week. I'll hit you so hard your grandkids have black eyes. You know what I mean? You know. <laughs> I will stomp a Texas-sized mud hole in you. Ain't nothing between you and me but air and opportunity. You feeling froggy jump? Come on, boy. Come on, Cletus. <laughs> That's what you ought to learn how to do. You ought to learn how to talk some spiritual smack talk. Learn how to talk a little spiritual smack. David knew how to pray declarative prayers. Some of our prayers, can I just break it down, make it plain? Some of our prayers... We, we pray, oh, God, we want you to bless our family, Lord. We want you to do something with this job, God. We need this job, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that you bless our marriage. Lord, but not my will, thine be done. Well, that sounds like a cop-out to me, just in case God doesn't do it. I understand yielding your will to God. But sometimes we need to just pray big old fat audacious prayers and say right now in the authority of the Holy Ghost, I'm believing you, God, to do greater things than I could imagine. I like preaching at this church. Oh, man. David knew how to pray declarative prayers. He understood that words create worlds. You got to learn how to pray in faith. 1 Samuel 17, verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. I love David's response. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword, the spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I'll cut off your head. David, calm down. Testy, testy, testy. Calm down, David. This is the Bible. 
He doesn't come down. He says, then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the bird and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and the spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. He doesn't say, but nevertheless, not my will. There, there is room for that. And you should pray, not my will, but thine be done. But when you know God has called you to a destiny, don't let anything stop you. You ought to learn how to pray declarative prayers. Now, I like that I'm in a church that knows how to do this. Because I prayed over you this week. I prayed over my family this week, and I'm going to show you how to pray a declarative prayer. And this is the kind of prayers we ought to pray. We ought to pray them over our families. Here's what I prayed over you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I cut off every curse that has been spoken against me and this church to try to stop us from walking into God's purpose for our lives. I cut off all bloodline and spiritual curses that any person or persons may have tried to place upon us, whether by their actions or by any form of verbal declaration at all whatsoever. Through the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pronounce that in his name all these things are null and void as of this moment. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Nothing that is against his purpose for us shall flourish. Nothing in the name of Jesus that is anti what he has called us to do will flourish from this moment on and therefore in his name I declare that our families will prosper. Our children will prosper. Our finances will prosper. Our authority will prosper. Our favor will prosper. Our influence will prosper. Our understanding will prosper. I'm not finished. The power of the living God will flow in greater measure through me, unencumbered to change people's lives and advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare that God has pre-appointed me in this determined time for my life, the exact place that I would dwell, the exact time that I would be born, the exact location for my anointing. He has placed me where I am in order for me to touch and change this area and that the enemy, the prince of the power of Austin, would be broken because of the power of the living God that is within us. He has done this so that I would seek for him, so that I might find him. For in him I live and move and have my being. We are his offspring and therefore I declare that I am flesh of his flesh and I am bone of his bone. I was born for such a time as this. No matter what has happened in the past or what's happening in the present, I will walk in victory and I'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living because I am more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. Church we got to learn how to pray declarative prayers. If God has called you, then you ought to go at your destiny with gusto and reckless abandon. Nothing will stop me. Musicians, you guys can come. I'm finished with this last point. David believed so strong that he didn't just pray and declare. He ran towards the giant. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him. And he let, you got to know they're laughing. Here's this boy coming running across the battlefield at a giant with a slingshot. You know the Philistines are going, for real? Oh, this is going to be funny. Get your, get your phone out with YouTube. This is going to be great. And you know the children of Israel are, are going, Eliab, get your brother. Get, what is the idiot? He, I'm, I'm, we're dead. I'm going to run. I'm going to go ahead and get my tennis shoes on now. (laughs) David lets it fly. Buries right in the forehead of the giant. The giant falls and David's not done. He goes over and he gets the giant's own sword. 
Because God will always provide you with a weapon in the moment of need. And he pulls that sword out and he lops off the head of the giant and it's R-rated. He grabs the giant's head and holds it up. Gross. But it inspires victory. And the children of Israel, everybody who said you can't, are inspired by the one who says, I can. And David becomes the greatest king of Judah. He's the only legitimate royal bloodline out of Israel. All kings that ever ruled Judah came through David's bloodline. And through David's bloodline is born the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Born through the purpose of a shepherd boy who wouldn't quit. I wonder what God can birth through your purpose. When you commit it to him. I don't know what you've been through. But if you'll embrace your God-given destiny. And make God's destiny for your life your destination. Don't take a detour to get there. wonder what he could do through you. I want to take four minutes and read you a letter that I received to our church. It says, I've been to the 429 a few times and I dearly love it. Here's my story. My mother was a single mom. Life wasn't easy growing up, but we loved one another dearly. She worked like a dog with only an eighth grade education to support four little girls and never got any child support. I knew that my mother loved me and she did the best that she knew how, but there were always habits and addictions lurking in her life that continually knocked her off course. At the age of 11, my world fell apart. My mother divorced her third husband, which was my first stepdad. My biological father had left when I was very little. We moved from Texas to Oklahoma. I was heartbroken and devastated. I was starting to realize that life that was normal to me wasn't really normal. My mother's behavior and habits were wildly out of control. I resented everything, having to move, leaving what I felt like was my daddy because he was the only man in my life that I'd ever called daddy. My biological father had been gone a long time, and now another dad was leaving. When we got to Oklahoma, my grandmother began taking me to her church. I'd never felt anything like it. It was a life-changing experience. I remember walking down that long aisle and kneeling down at the front and giving my heart to Jesus as a little girl. It was a profound moment of realization in my life that really was a love that wouldn't leave. That's the moment God truly became my father. It was like I was baptized with a spirit of determination and destiny that no matter what happened, I was going to stay with Jesus. Little did I know how much I would need that determination in the protecting hand of my new father. I lived through verbal, mental, physical, and emotional abuse constantly. Somehow my conversion to Christ had caused my mother to feel guilty. It was hard for her to take that I had found a real love, and the abuse got worse. My mother remarried again, and in that marriage, we became a blended family and acquired two stepbrothers. The marriage didn't last long, but during that time, I was able to lead my two stepbrothers to Christ. After a year and a half, the relationship dissolved. Mother started taking large doses of prescription drugs and became very abusive. I knew what it was for my own mother to pull out a loaded forty-five and hold it against my temple and scream, I'm going to blow your brains out. It was the drugs talking. I knew she loved me, but it was a horrible thing for an eighth grader to go through. I remember running next door to a neighbor's house in tears, and I shook as they called the police. A judge committed my mom to a state mental hospital for six months. My three sisters and I lived with our grandmother, and that was the moment, some of the greatest moments of my childhood, because my grandmother took us to church. And I felt the love of God so strong. When mama got out of the institution, we went back to live with her. She was angry and bitter and slipped right back into the drug habit. And there were different men coming in and out of our home every week. When I was a sophomore in high school, she met another man and built a relationship with him. His name was John Deaton. 
We knew that John had been in prison but didn't know what for. Later we found out he'd been convicted of rape and gone to prison for it. My mother didn't know this and would leave us alone at home for hours with him. I could feel him staring us down. And for some reason, we always had the strongest urge to get out of the house. I know now that it was God's angels leading us out and protecting us from harm. She finally kicked him out and moved on to husband six. But he couldn't handle the lifestyle of drugs, drinking, partying, and abuse. And he left. She would grab me by the hair of my head and knock me into door facings and sling me into the coffee table screaming and cussing. I struggled not to believe the things that she would say about me. Spankings were beatings. She could backhand you quicker than you could blink. But through it all, I knew God had a purpose for my life. I was so desperate for God that I'd ride to church with anybody who would take me. Oftentimes riding in the back of a pickup truck for 30 miles just to get into the presence of God. I remember a few times my mother coming into the church high on drugs and screaming for us to get up and get out. It was embarrassing, and at the age of 16, in a moment of anger, I finally threw up my hands and told my mama, that's it. I'm quitting church, and my mother stopped and looked at me for the first time in a long time through clear eyes and said, no, you won't quit going to church. I'm miserable, and I don't want you to turn out like me. After I graduated from high school, my mother married husbands seven, eight, and nine. But my life has taken a different path. And when I walked into this church, I felt that same presence of God that I felt as an 11-year-old girl desperate for love and acceptance. Thank you for providing a place where people can find healing, hope, and happiness. God bless the church. My story has a happy ending. A year and a half before my mama died with tears in her eyes, on her hospital bed, she gave her heart to Jesus. And I thank God every day for churches like this who reach hurting people. It was because of a church and the determination of people that an 11-year-old girl gave her heart to Christ and I've never looked back. And this story hit so close to home because that lady was my mama. That lady was my mama. And I don't know where you are. And I don't know what you've been through, but because somewhere, someway along the path of her life, when times were hard, she found her destiny. And because of her destiny, there's a 36-year-old preacher in Austin today preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because somebody said, I know you say I can't, but I don't believe you because my daddy says I can. And just last Saturday night at the church I pastored, We baptized for this year the 499th person in water. Come on, somebody. Find your destiny. Lock it in. All of us stand all across the room. I want to pray over you right now. believe we have prayer partners. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask you if you want to come and pray. I'm going to invite you to pray. But I want to tell you this, the purpose that is on the inside of you is greater than the giant that is in front of you. Never reduce the size of your God to the size of your biggest problem. He's bigger. When the disciples were surrounded by water that they thought was going to kill them, Jesus came walking on the thing that was their biggest problem. Dear Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, through the authority of the power of the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, have your way in this room today. We declare that our families will be whole, that our bodies will be healed, that our finances will be secure, that the lost in this city will be found. We declare it. We prophesy it in the name of Jesus. 
and those who have walked into this place broken on the brink of letting it all go I declare peace and healing and strength and mercy and grace and hope and help and life into their spirits right now in Jesus name if you need prayer you know what let me let me just do this if you've been facing a giant not even going to qualify what it is you've been facing a giant and you're ready to slay that giant I want you to step out from where you are and walk down here and get as close as you can to the front of this building. If you want to pray with a prayer partner, you're welcome to do that. If you want to just come down and pray and declare by stepping out and saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to slay the giant. I want you to do that. With hands lifted high all across the room, God, we give you praise. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.